Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Which stands for romantic crimes, sort yes. of, right? It's basically a play on the idea of romantic comedy. Comedy? <laughs> I said comedy. Romantic comedy. It's so hard to say. And true crime. Well, that's the thing. Vanya loves romantic comedies. And Avrin is obsessed with true crime. And I'm like, this is Vanya, hi. Um, <laughs> and I'm like secretly kind of like, I'm like fascinated by it, but like scared. Like I'm, I'm like behind my mom's skirt. I'm like, no, tell me the awful details. Right. And yeah. I spend hours watching TV shows and researching things on the internet and movies, anything about serial killers or I love um, like profile, like FBI profilers, like, mm. and all of the psychological details of like why people amazing. become why they are serial killers. Yeah. That is so crazy. Honestly, like, okay. So before we even start our show, like I was doing some research because my, as I go through, I really like, why did they do? Because like, because it's they're terrible people and they do I such know. horrible things. And, but why are they terrible people? You know, like yeah. what made them the way they are? And, right. And then you did some research. And, and I did some research, and it has, and it's no definitive answer, which not, is kind of scary. That but is, that to me is the scariest thing about all of this. Like, you know, uh, Avrin, you know, I also am really I get scared. <laughs> if, like like horror movies, right. even like fake. Oh, I went to Hollywood fri- Hollywood. Hollywood oh, Horror Nights. Right. I want to go. Oh, my God. We had so much fun. But I really honestly was like, oh, why didn't take a Xanax or anything? I mean, like, right. because I do have panic attacks. It's something I suffer from when I get really scared. But, you know, mostly I'm, like, you know, in closed spaces, lots of people, right. kind of scared person. But And you said you had a ball, Oh, right? my God. It was so much fun. People are, like, it's insane. It's it's yeah. dark, which also the dark is scary. And mm-hmm. they have so many, they call them scare actors, come out and oh, like yeah. scare the shit out of you. Scare actors. What a gig. I know. Oh, you, you know. Yeah, but I it, should look into that. You should look into that. You really, <laughs> I feel like those poor kids get a lot of exercise. Yeah. Just, but yes, I had so, so much fun. Well, that's the thing too that I think is one of the things that people often, I don't know if it's 
ignore or fail to recognize about why s- certain people really do seek out like yeah. like me like horror movies yeah. take me to the fright the horror night or right. you know like haunted houses it's an adrenaline rush like that's true fear and adrenaline or mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. they go hand in hand and so there is something like you said when you were like I was screaming I was jumping I felt yeah. kind of high is the word you used when you no, were telling me about it's it it's true afterwards I was like holy shit, like, why don't we do this every day? Right, like, it was like, really I fun. always want to be just a little bit yeah. terrified because it makes me feel kind of buzzed. You know what? <laughs> I think that's why I, u- I used to be an actor and more so, like, stage. And the truth is, is, like, afterwards you are, like, flying high because yeah. it's scary. You and know, it it's, like... always terrifying. It's really scary before. You're, like, hoping you're going to entertain people. And yeah, no, I no, was always convinced I was... I had to pee so bad I was never going to be able to actually get on stage. I love that that's your fear. I'm like, right. I will piss my pants on stage. Yeah. I do not care. Well, that was like how my it, that was how my fear and adrenaline manifested was like it was also when I was a kid and I was on the swim team. Every time I would step up onto the board, you know, like when you would dive off into oh, the yeah. race, right as I would be in like next in line. So I'm on deck. All of a sudden I would have to pee and it felt like I had to pee worse than yeah. I ever had to pee in my life. And then once you dive in water – and you finish the race, right, I didn't have focused. to pee anymore. Right. It was that was like how my my anxiety or fear, I guess, of what was gonna happen was manifesting. And I used to get that with um before going on stage too. I'd be like, oh, I need to pee, I need to pee. Yeah. You, pee. you have to go on. You have three more lines before your entrance. And yeah. then the minute you go on and you start, I never actually had to run off stage and pee. I had a director once tell me that pee energy was good, so just Great. go so for it's it. Positive and energy. maybe that was just like a mind fuck that they were doing for us because whatever. I mean, mind you, this was like I did like community theater and all that fun stuff as well, which is the most the, the most of my theater, and you know, a little bit of downtown New York no, theater. No, I was going to say we did lots of downtown it's true. New York theater. We did, but now I do this podcast mm-hmm. because I need an outlet. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thank you for being here with us. We're gonna we try to you. blend the best aspects of romantic comedies and, and true crime. crime. So basically, we're just getting rid of the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> right, so it's going to be a really yeah. boring, I'm kidding. Not boring, <laughs> I mean, but probably be... not too funny. Or at least the stories. I Maybe we're funny. Here's the thing. I will be uncomfortable, so I'll make bad jokes, so great. Great, so that's yeah. where the so comedy will So it might be in. funny, it might not be, but I'll just be like, oh my God, why? <laughs> um, but today our story is not so funny. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. Mm-mm. And one thing that I actually meant to tell you before we started, but here oh, we are, Jesus, so we'll just do Mary it now. And Joseph, no, what? is that I think it's, what is interesting to me when I went down a rabbit hole of like killer couples oh and landed on this one when we were going to do the Amy Fisher story that yep. ended up doing. And I was like, I almost changed it on you because I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. But uh, as somebody who has always been fascinated with serial killers, you know, uh-huh. you know their names. There's like BTK and the Golden State Killer and Dahmer and Bundy and mm-hmm. all that. Why don't people know about these This one's people? intense. I, well, I think like, it's because it was a short period. I guess. It was like a summer and of I, love. And I suppose that it was also, um, when I was doing some research, that it was also going on in tandem with the Hillside Stranglers. So mm. there was like other serial killing happening well, in Los Angeles. Oh, shit. Well, tell them what, what we're doing. Who so we're, we're doing? doing the Sunset Strip Killers. The Sunset Strip Killers. The Sunset Strip Killers. Okay. So... Um, it makes me, every time I drive on Sunset, I am always like, Sunset Boulevard. I know, me too. Twisted Boulevard. I'm always like, with one look, <laughs> I could, su-. I don't remember the words, but yeah, it's Sunset true. Boulevard. 
a little scary. I work on, actually, you know what? I work on Sunset Boulevard. Don't tell the people. Well, I mean, I'm not going to tell you where. Sunset Boulevard is a very, very big she boulevard. She works on the corner? Of, I'm no. just kidding. But I do work on Sunset Boulevard. We talk about prosies a lot today. So yeah, we're going to call them sex. We're going to call them sex workers. Sex workers. Thank you. I appreciate sensitivity. Yeah. And I do. Here's the thing. I am just going to keep mentioning when I am uncomfortable, I do make jokes. And yep. so if I am insensitive at all, that's why. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so the Sunset Stripped Killers. Killers, yes. And so in keeping with our theme for the kinds of crimes we're talking about, mm-hmm. this is a couple yeah. that became um, a killing a killing couple or a duo of serial killers, if you yep. will. They were a team. A team, Much yeah. Much like a team of marriage, but not. Right. Okay. Well, they weren't married. They weren't. No, but I think let's start. I think you had a great idea. Let's yep. start with the... The rom part We're of talking our rom about crime. the rom. Let's talk about how these two met. These little do you want to? Do you want to start with that? Sure. Okay. Because this is like anything like less upsetting. On we'll definitely love like talk about. I'll just dive right in. Okay. So these two lovebirds met at a bar called the Little Nashville in Burbank. Mm-hmm. And why was? Do you know why she was there? Yes. Okay. So yes. This is why it's so twisted. I know. It's Their so meet cute is not cute. It's not cute. It's not cute. But okay. So. Tell me if I'm wrong, because this I did research this time in our past episode. I have not done research, and I was like, I should know something. <laughs> so I'm just like facing my fears of the scary stuff, and it's good. Actually, really good and very fascinating, I'll be honest. I've it been is, thinking about right? it. Right? It's lot. fascinating. And yeah. So, okay, so I think maybe, I think we need to talk about Carol first. Okay, let's talk about Carol. Is that okay? Yeah, like, absolutely. Okay, so, Let's. We're going to go actually pre yeah, pre meet, meet cute. cute. Yeah, pre uh, the two of them, the rom. The least cute meet cute yeah. of all time. Uh-huh. But yeah, let's talk about Carol. Okay, so I feel like we talk about them and then we get to... Okay, so Carol had a very sad childhood. Mm-hmm. Both of her parents were like abusive alcoholics, Yeah, right? um, her name... So I guess we'll just say her full name oh, right. because her name is Carol Bundy, yeah. which again is also why when I first started reading about this couple, I was like, how did I never hear about the female... Bundy, serial killer. Right. Like, Ted Bundy is one of the most prolific, famous names you know. And there was a woman who is known as a a serial killer whose name was also Bundy. And I was like, how did I never hear about this? They're not related. They're not related. They're not related. I did know that. That that is crazy. That is crazy. But yeah, so she definitely had an incredibly rough childhood. childhood. Her parents were, like, both just terrible parents. You know, her dad was... Physically and sexually abusive. Well, here's the thing. I guess, and maybe he was before, but like, I guess the mom dies, right? Right. And well, then, that's when the sexual abuse yeah, started. Yeah. It's not like a Disney movie when a mom dies. No, but also the crazy thing about the mom. So, tell me, I don't she know this. Was um, so Carol Bundy's mama. Carol's Carol Bundy's mama, whose Jesus. name I guess I should have written down. Let's call it Janet. Well, I don't want to offend Janets out there. What about Janice? Janice, okay. Her mother, Janice, was a really, really um, beautiful woman. In fact, she was a stand-in for the famous tap dancer, Ruby Keeler. So, like, she had, like, aspirations of Hollywood stardom, and she was a beautiful woman. And Carol Bundy was an awkward, um, I hate to, I'm I'm just going to say, an unattractive, awkward child. Yeah. And um, basically inexplicably one day, and I can't remember exactly how old she was, um, shout out to Wikipedia and Murderpedia where I got yeah. all of my information. It's, so if any of this is inaccurate, it's not my fault, it's their fault. Yeah. Um, but where she came home one day from school and her mom just like 
decided to ice her out. Like she no longer existed, wouldn't let her in the house. She said, you're not my daughter. Aww. Like, and just so just shunned her completely. Emotional neglect. Yeah, but I mean, why? They never give you any actual explanation. Like uh, to me, that suggests that her mother had some kind of mental issues. That could be. Where and you also could go maybe... be like someone's mom one day, like send them off to school with like their lunch and like, bye, honey. And then when they get home, you've locked them out of the house and you refuse to acknowledge they exist. Oh, that's really sad. And that'll do it to you. Yeah. So then the mom dies and then the dad And then starts... the dad insists that his two daughters take her place in his bed until he remarries. Oh, she had a brother. She a had sister. a daughter. A sister. She had a sister, which is oh. actually why they were able to confirm when they were doing like all of the interviews and trying to find out if, if she was even like sane and could capable of like standing trial, all of the abuse that she alleged um, at the hands of her father, her sister actually corroborated all of was that. Like, yeah, yeah. She's like, no, too. that definitely happened. Um, so yeah, so okay. that happened. So then the dad gets married, and then she goes into foster care, and, and yeah. so, sadly, in the in no, she was born like in forty two. So right, yeah, because the that whole was. the whole I think that she and Doug met in the like either eighty set eighty eighty. It was nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. Their their whole like affair happened from June to August. 80. Oh, all right, and. So many things did they do so in that short things. brief time. Um, but yeah, so basically one of the things they say that Carol did when we talk about kind of like her, where she's at mentally and yeah. kind of where she was coming from. So they were in and out of foster care, like yep. uh, foster homes, but then they did eventually end up back with their dad and oh. his wife. At one point, I guess he had like tried to kill everyone like family annihilator style but oh, no. wasn't didn't wasn't successful the step or the stepmom the wife had like somehow gotten away and gotten out and then he was you know so he it was just a terrible terrible oh home life so, so at 17 years old that's the only carol, part I, know. I didn't know carol about the married home. a 56 year old man aye, aye, aye. who also happened to be a drunk and probably was very reminiscent of her dad. I mean, I'm speculating. Well, yes. But, I mean, like, why would you... To get away from your dad, who is a drunk who abuses you, like, you don't... You're not 17 and you marry a 56-year-old drunk. Yeah. Also, really yucky. I mean, 17-year-olds should be having sex with not 56... You know, it seems... It seems like with the 56-year-old has to be, like, maybe a little, a little sure. bit of a peed. Well, and one of the things they also... This is a sidebar, because I, I know we're just kind of going through her history. But we're one of the there. things that I think they that I read that they kept bringing up was that what Carol learned at a very young age at the hands of her mom and her dad because of the horrible abuse that she suffered. But when she would be asked about them, she would always say, only remember good things. Like she tells this story all the time about how her dad, the first time she lost a tooth made the tooth fairy real by taking one of her dolls and getting its feet, like covered in mud and doing little footsteps away so that she could see the, that the tooth fairy had come and gone and left money under her pillow. So like clearly I'm thinking there's some manic, I don't know. I'm not going to, I'm not, I have no background. Hey, in but any that's kind of what like we're here for, to, 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 to totally speculate sus- and to speculate. comment. But anyway, so she basically was the kind of person who would always forgive her abusers and that was her power is that they could do whatever they wanted and she would always say I still love you and it's okay and that is exactly the kind of energy that could help existed between her and Doug Clark yes where it was like you know so she was that was kind of I don't know if it's a manipulation or if it's just that was Mm -hmm. just her coping mechanism but she was always willing to forgive 
see the best in, no matter mm-hmm. what was going on, as long as she could hold on to that love right. and that attention from those and people that she loved. It is so crazy as humans. We're just survivors, right? Like, we're going to... I have a friend in New York, and he's like... He would always be like, if I was nervous or... Because I'm a little neurotic, and I'm like, what about this? What about, why, why should we have children if the world's going to end? I have two. But anyways, he was like, you know what? Humans are like cockroaches. We figure out a way. And so I feel like, but, you know. Yeah, we do. She figured out a way to be. To cope. And to, like, tell herself it's okay and all those things. And honestly, you know, from the research that I did, and I think that I'm just going to come out now and just tell you that I don't, don't think Carol Bundy is a sympathetic figure or character in this story. I think that she is a very messed up person who did some terrible things and clearly also um, had a, a really driving need for the attention she was clearly deprived as a child right. and was pretty much willing to do whatever it took yeah. to maintain the affections yep. of whichever relationship we're going to touch on. Yeah. But that was definitely, I think, a big part of, you know, and that's like, that's a choice. I, mean, I don't want to say that now. I feel like I'm acting like I know shit. But that is a, that's a, that is a tool that is a, yeah. a, a form of, I think, some kind of relationship manipulation. Whereas we'll also talk about how manipulative the men she was with. But well, the, so this 56-year-old sure. was what? The first of three? three? Yeah. Right. So I only know, basically my, what I read was basically the first and then the third that she got away from, but she had two kids with. Right. Okay, so. Babies. One of them's obviously, his name was Bundy, because that's not her given name. Oh. So she was married to the old dude, she was married to a Bundy, and then she was also married to Oh, I think that maybe Bundy was the last husband, mm. which is why that was still her last name, because she never married. That, that would make sense. So the second husband, I believe his name was Paul Geis, but I will, I can't, don't quote me on that, but it's I'll, something I'll similar. You and but you was, know what? Why like, do people get married so much? Like, just have sex with someone. I mean... I mean, like, why do you have to get married? Yeah. But I guess that's an 80s thing. Sorry, keep going. And this would be like a 70s thing. Oh, right, yeah. Or so maybe even a right. 60s thing. Right. But like, probably a why? 70s thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think obviously it seems like in what I was reading, that she was def- she was she was trying to create a family, you know, yeah. and she wanted that so bad. So I think her second husband was a writer. Okay, didn't know that. Um, and encouraged her to write, and she even had an article that she or an op-ed or something she wrote published in like a national magazine. She was also a really great, like, brilliant cartoonist, but wow. she just quit all of that. And then eventually, I can't remember the details, but their their marriage kind of fell apart, but they remained friendly. And then she married the Bundy guy, not Ted. Right. Um, <laughs> had two children with him. They were both in, like, the medical field. She was a nurse. She's a nurse practitioner. And I think he was also a nurse practitioner. Jesus. But she basically started to go blind. What? And so she had always had bad eyesight, and her eyes were deteriorating greatly. So being a nurse when you can't oh. see is pretty much impossible. So then her last husband, the just genuine hero he was, started to, like, beat the crap out of her because the prospect of having to take care of their two kids and her knowing that she wasn't going to be able to continue working now that she was going, so he was going to have like a disabled wife and two kids. And so she fled with her two children to like a battered women's shelter. Oh, I did not know that. And that's actually something that they could prove. Like there was a provable record that she had been in a a shelter for battered women because her husband was abusive. So she did get her kids out of there. And I will say like, that was at least like a genuine decent moment of like removing your children from right a bad home. But here's the next step. Here's the ne- okay. So wait, maybe should we pause and then go back to um, 
uh, Doug's upbringing? Or what do you yeah, think? Yeah, well, why don't we explain who the... Yeah, let's talk about Doug's upbringing, and then we can talk about how they met, which will then send us back in time to what happened after she left the women's shelter. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> so Doug, good old Dougie Doug, he... Daniel was actually his name, but he oh, wanted really? to be called Doug. Weird. Why? And his last name was Clark. Yeah, this guy, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be an asshole, but I immediately was like, it was the guy. And yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, that's the, what hus- I, the husband always does it. Or the dude always does Well, it does seems it. like that, but she was all... I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of awful women that do bad things to... Sure, you know, of but course. But still, I was the same way. I was like, oh my God. So he was... Apparently, his dad was like a naval... Uh, officer. Officer, but like in the... Uh, something like, elite. They yeah, were like a very wealthy, yeah. a very wealthy family. He lived all over the place. Yeah, went like to high school. Countries. Like went to high school in Geneva. That, in Geneva with like a bunch of UN ambassadors' children and yeah. like famous people's kids. Yeah, but I think uh, you know, in my research of the psychopaths, <laughs> if they had, it seems like this guy was definitely emotionally, you know, it, it like ignored. He probably didn't have a lot of like. Right. Like, they no do, helicopter parents happening yeah, 100%. here. 100%. They actually, I feel like they did mention that every time he got in trouble, his parents would just, like, basically deny that he would have ever done anything wrong and defended him, but they weren't, like, present. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean? So that he always just got away with his bad behavior, but he never, I think, had the actual emotional support. Yeah. And, like, love and tending to from his parents. Yeah. Okay, so. And he was also clearly, clearly a sexual deviant from like a really young age. Ooh, why? Because no. one of the things that I was reading was, so when he was in these schools, he would constantly, like without provocation or being asked, like tell all of the stories of like all of the girls that he had had sex with. And then the ways that he would like prove it is that he would record it and like play Ew. it for his friends. He would take pictures and show them to his friends. And so he was just like, basically... He already was engaged in, like, kind of a, I guess, like a semi, what would be considered, like, a not normal sexual being. Like, he had already kind of graduated at a very young age to, like, extreme strangeness. I don't know what the right word is. I mean, yeah, if you see my face right now, it's just, like, contorting and upset. Right, like like those poor girlfriends in high school that were, like, wait, you passed pictures of us, like, of me, like, around to all of your friends, like, Fuck you. Also, like, if you think about it, he would have been, he was born, like, 52, right. I think. So this would have been the 60s. Something like that. And he, so he would have, like, had to get, like, a full camera out and be like, Here And, we like, go. develop that film. Yeah. Unless it was a Polaroid. Which, did that exist yet? Uh, we're going to have to get back to you on that. Uh, I'm not sure. When did Polaroids become... <laughs> Probably. ...a thing? I feel like it ha- maybe was that early. I think so. I don't know. It might have been the 80s. Right. Um, so then he goes, so yeah, he has like the military, emotionally, emotionally neglected childhood. And then he, after he goes into the U S air force, right? Right. He goes in the air force. He basically, from what I could gather, had a real problem with authority, but was also a lazy fuck. Right. Like was actually quite smart. Clearly had like the financial, like backing to be, make something of his life, but never, ever, ever was willing to do the work. So he was in the Navy, but, like, hated all of his superior officers and just by, like, the skin of his teeth managed to, like, get in and out of his time there without being, like, dishonorably discharged. But then was, like, a really kind of, you know, couldn't keep a job, just, you know, never wanted to work hard. 
Right. Well, if you have your parents basically being like, you're perfect. Yeah. Whatever you do, it's fine. You're good. You never did that bad thing. It's yeah. just, it never happened. But also that was, you know, part of his thing too, is when he doesn't, when you don't want to work for something, but you're also smart and you're charming and you're well-educated and you speak well and you can say things in French and you can quote liter, you know, like famous authors. You can right. really woo the ladies and if you're a psychopath, you can also pick up on the weakest amongst them right. and you can basically figure out how to get somebody else to pay for your life, which is was a trend of his. It's like finding women who were very insecure, very neglected, very desperate for affection, attention, and love. He would give that to them and then in turn they would basically let him live with them and pay for everything. Enter. And Carol, Carol was Bundy. not the first, but she was probably the most prolific for him. And the last he lived with, for yep. sure. Yeah. So I guess, well, does this catch us up? I think that's, so that's their backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that catches us up a little bit. So, so now we go back to... Yeah, Carol's on her, she's she's fled the... She's oh, li- yes, so that's... She's that's, living in a, now she, she's living in like a, like a, either an apartment? Yeah, so she, after the, after she leaves her husband and has um, taken her kids to the women's shelter, she finds herself an apartment in Van Nuys, and I cannot remember the name of the property, but wow. they did tell us that. So an apartment <laughs> complex in Van Nuys, California, where the managers, the property managers, are a couple named um, Jeanette and John, but he goes by Jack. Oh, yeah. Um, Murray. Murray. Know this. And uh, Jack Murray is from Australia. <gasps> Stop it. Yep. Very, very handsome and gorgeous. God bless you for and knowing all this. I mean, you know, I told I told you I deep dive on I the mean, I sometimes. knew that he was a country western singer. Yes. So he had moved to the but US from Australia, from Australia to Amazing. become a country western singer <gasps> and basically kind of failed at it in any kind of real way because right. he was very arrogant and like convinced that he was a bigger deal than he was yet. Sure. So he kind of shot himself in the foot. So he's a property manager who moonlights at a bar and sings at a bar. Gotcha. So not actually like a super successful country western singer. Right. But did apparently have a really good voice. Okay. So. I wish that we had taken Yeah. That. All right. So I feel like before we jump to the meet cute, let's just fill in this part of the story. Yes. So when Carol moves into the apartment that Jack Murray manages, mm-hmm. she is smitten. He is very, very handsome. And he is actually very kind to her. He drives her to, like, the Social Security office and is like, you should get disability. You're blind. He also says you should what? get a second opinion about your prognosis, finds out that her eye issues are completely correctable with surgery. So then she gets surgery and she can see again, no problem. So now uh-huh. she's getting disability checks. Somebody comes over to help her with her children and clean their house. And um, she can see again. So he Holy really was shanky. like a savior to her in certain ways. And he also boned her. But then they also were definitely... Like, having an affair. Because that's maybe... So here's my thing. Like, how did that... I just... I'm, like, trying to... If I was a fly on the wall, you know? Like, is she... Because that's how she knows to... Because she's always had to fuck whoever male she's around. I think, like, in what they showed with her history is that, yeah, she basically... She's like, I'm going to blow you now. She was promiscuous as a young girl because it gave her at least a temporary moment of being the object of someone's affection as well. Like, that is... Her, like, mother's rejection of her, I think, and her father's abuse and all of that, like, yeah. really just made her desperate, to, wow. I think, to be seen. And that so makes sense. in those moments when, you know, she would be having sex with ma- a man or a woman, because she also, like, went back and forth. Okay. 
like her sexual identity was never solid in terms of whether or not she was sure. more into men or women. Um, but she was into Jack Murray. And he was a fucktard who was a, uh, completely using her. They, oh, like, yeah. she would buy him things because, as I mentioned earlier, he helped her get, like, all of this Social disability security. money yeah. and then also fixed her eyes. So then she was able to go back to work and was making really good money. And she was paying. As a nurse practitioner. As a nurse I just feel like practitioner. I have to say that yeah. A lot. <laughs> but she was, like, loaning him money all the time, also thinking, well, if he owes me money, he'll, he'll never leave because, like, he's indebted to me. So right. some really, really, really awesome, like, forward thinking on her part. Right. Um, so eventually, she confronts his wife, offers her $1,500 to leave Jack. Right. I read that. Like, mm -hmm. she bribes him. Or she tries bribes, to bribe. Tries to bribe her and is like. And then the wife is like, well, let's no. see what Jack thinks. And then Jack was basically like, get the fuck out of here. I so pick my wife. Her. And they basically evict her. Yeah. Cut to, she's still obsessed with Jack, so she goes and visits the bar where he sings and moons over him. Wait, can I ask a question? Yeah, yeah, of course. Where are the children? Because yeah. I have children, it yeah. just upsets me so when, because I know this story is about to take a real nasty turn. Um, well, the children are there, as far there. as I can tell. Like, they were with her at the apartment in Van Nuys. Ugh. I don't, I feel like in everything that I was able to find online, yeah. you know, they don't, I think specifically they don't mention the kids all that often. They right. do come up a little bit when Doug Clark moves in and comes into the picture because... Right. There was some instances, like incidences, 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 incident. Why doesn't it feel like that's a real word it's anymore? Not incident, incident. There, but how do you say what's it in the, plural? What's the plural version? Of I think that? that you said it right. Incident, incident. Oh no, it's incidents. Oh, there were several incidences. Yep. Mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. to say this with Doug Clark and her older son. Oh, okay, we'll, well that upsets that. me just even knowing that. But, but the, okay. I don't actually know like what the I'm hoping they were in school and had like a really cool kind, I don't know, teacher. like teacher that was looking out for their best interest. Let's hope. So, so Vaughn, now you're going to do the rom rom pipe. Okay, we're pipe, back in the romantic ish pipe. moment. So, okay, so Little Nashville, a bar in Burbank where uh Jack Murray, this uh Australian, love that. Uh, country western American country western singer is like singing and she's like hanging out and just like I guess fawning I mean here's the thing uh, Avra and I used to work in a bar we uh, for quite a few yeah. years and well, you know, still I still work in a bar well but yes we worked right. in a, the same bar so we would like I guess we never worked together right anyway we have we know we have mutual yeah. things we saw and the yeah. bar we worked at was it was not a dive but it was not a it wasn't like a club. It was definitely no. a bar with yeah. regulars, yep. people that you yep. would get to know and see repeatedly. And there were nights where you saw, like real, like real hard up, or maybe not hard up, but just like sad people connecting. And you're kind of like, okay, great. So yeah. like, look at that sad person connecting with us. Look Good at that for them. meat cute. Look at yeah. that real gross meat cute. And it's like that SNL thing that's on right now, where they're like, it's really gross. Anyways, I can't go into it, but <laughs> wait, what? You know the SNL sketch where they um, like, Kate McKinnon? Yeah, where they just lots of tongue stuff Lots happens. of tongue. But yeah. that's kind of stuff you see late at night. Yeah, you where do Where people are looking for, like, a anybody to... to sleep. <laughs> yeah, maybe a place to sleep, anybody to boink. I never even thought about it, yeah. it that way. Oh, my God, I'm so... It makes me think of homeless Heidi privileged. from High Maintenance. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, you got to have a place to rest your head. Right. So you do what you got to do. Oh, wow. Wow. Shelter is important. By the way, High Maintenance is a great show, so watch that. HBO. Yeah. Um, so good. So so they're both at the bar. Carol Bund Bundy's like checking out her. And she is bummed because yeah. 
as far as what I understand, Jeanette her. was there. <gasps> and after he was like done performing or whatever, they were like dancing and loving on each other. And he is basically ignoring her existence. And then she spots. She spots Doug Clark. An attractive blonde, although I've seen pictures and I beg to differ on both attractive and blonde. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all I know is that that's where they meet. And that's where they sort of like, he like moves in with her immediately. So yeah. So basically the way it works is they have a great first like meeting. They just talk. He's very flattering. Like he's, you know, he, nothing actually happens. They don't go home together that wow. night. Wow. But he gets her number, and she's, for the first time, like, her eye is on a different prize. Right. She's, like, temporarily distracted from Jack Murray. Then he does, in fact, call her. They go out on another date, and he um, insists on going back to her house, where she's, she's always been, weirdly enough, even though you wouldn't know it from what we're telling you, she's actually always been pretty protective of her kids because of what happened with her abusive husband and all right. of that. So she doesn't bring men home. She's not really like, this is mommy's new friend. Yeah. But he kind of insists, and he's very charming. And by the end of their first dinner together, um, like the kids are like sitting on his lap and like wrestling and having fun. And she is just so wept up in the sure. romance of it all. Like here is finally like, the father for her kids. Oh my God. And then he lets her, he informs her that he's going to be, or he tells the kids, sorry, not her. He's like, I just wanted to let you know I'm going to be spending the night. He does, and he basically never leaves. Oh so the next God. day, he tells her that his landlord called, and there's, like, some crazy stuff going on. So he's, like, being evicted. Could he move some of his stuff into her house? And basically starts freeloading on off of her immediately. Oh. So that is how that starts. Oh, my God. I did not know that. So yeah. And then another aspect of it. So we'll just stop going totally chronological, I think, at this point. Yeah. Only because I feel like there's so many interesting facets of this tale, but also... Like, the timeline of it, I feel like, even from what I could find, is not, not people aren't 100% certain huh, of it. It's true. So, he became pretty, like, once he had kind of control over her, was living there, he became pretty abusive towards her, kind of immediately, like, immediately stopped showing any kind of sexual interest in her, which is all she wanted, and she was yeah. desperate for it. And um, he would tell her, like... One of the things that they did together is they would like talk about their sexual like fantasies and his all of right. his stuff was like very very dark, you know like weird stuff. Like he he talked about um, having a sex slave and she thought he meant like her. And he talked right. about like bringing young girls into their bed oh, and threesomes no. and all of this stuff. And eventually shared with her that he thought like the ultimate thing the ultimate like sexual high he could ever have would to be to actually kill somebody, a woman, right. not somebody, right. a woman, while either she was performing oral sex on him or they were having sex, like in the throes yeah. of it, to kill her. <laughs> I know. So and for upsetting. some reason, this was exciting to Carol. Because um, she was probably like, oh, because of her fucked up upbringing she was probably like oh this is a way I could like make him I happy can and bond make him with stay. him yeah and I think like she probably I mean who knows but like yuck but yeah so anyway so he they start sharing like these really dark deep sexual desires um sidebar he's also terribly abusive and is abusing her older son and the son in the one article I read on Murderpedia kind of describes it that he was like it was like Doug and I were in a battle for my mom's soul and I knew that I had lost. Oh, no. And then they are sent to live. Their dad basically 
rounds them up and sends them off to live with their grandparents. So also, oh, thank God, I'm no, just they saying, didn't end I'm, up back with a bad dad either. But I'm just saying, like my whole thing reading all of this, right, like, like, where, where are the, the children? Kids? Yeah, because there planning. were young kids that were like nine and five or something. I mean, that is this beyond. I cannot. Yeah. So luckily, I mean, not luckily. Obviously, he's probably suffered horribly before they got away. But luckily, they did get away. And so then, now that they're sharing all their deep sexual kinky weirdness. Right. The kids are out of the picture. Thank God. The kids are gone. They can go and do um, some murders. <laughs> Doug comes I know. Right? <laughs> Doug comes home at night though covered in blood and basically and I think he first lies and he's like oh I hit a cat or something and she's like mm, why does the car look like that? You know inside. Inside and the they car. And they had a van right? He, I think he they had, had like a big old Buick or a giant car. Yeah. And uh so he basically confesses to her that he picked up two um, teenage sex workers, or not, I mean, I mean, you know what? Not sex workers, runaways. They were yeah. sitting on a bus, they were waiting for a bus. He picked them up. He basically forced. Wait, did he not do any threesomes yet? Or because wasn't that a thing? I, I, that is a thing. I don't know the Yeah, the order chronological of order of order. But, yeah. order. but yeah. so basically, he forces one of these two girls to perform oral sex on him. And tells the other one to look away. She won't. So he shoots the other one in the head oh, and then no. shoots the the girl who was who Performing he was forcing it. to do stuff to him in the head. Neither of them are dead. So he shoots them both again, then takes their body to a warehouse where he um, you know, like tries to get rid of any kind of evidence, but he comes home like covered in blood. All of these things. And we think this is his real first one, or we don't know. So, according to what I was reading, this, these were the first two girls that were found. And these girls were stepsisters. Oh. And their names were Cynthia Chandler and Gina Morano. Oh. And they lived in Huntington Beach in California. And they were, they were troubled girls. Like, they had run away a bunch. They were known to be truant. They had been, um, I think, dabbling in drugs. You know, they, were te- they were young teenage yeah. girls, like, going through stuff. So they had run away. Their parents, though, were desperately searching for them. And when they had heard news of, like, two girls turning up, they immediately called the police out of fear because their daughters had been gone. Oh, my God. They were stepsisters. Their daughters had been gone. They identified them. All right. Now I want to – part of me is, like – I want to almost, like, switch the perspective of the story. Okay. Bring it. From the perspective of Carol and Doug to the perspective of, like, local law enforcement and what was going on. So, this is 1980. Mm -hmm. This, or 79, maybe even. I think they were caught in the 80s, or was was, it only the 80s? I mean, it might have been that, but the time frame that I keep seeing, like, on Wikipedia was June to August in 80. I mean, like, three months. But I could be be wrong. So, it was the summer of 1980, and I believe Wikipedia. Why would it ever be wrong? Um... (laughs) So basically, at the same time that these two start what they're doing, there is the Hillside Strangler. Mm. The murder rate in Los Angeles is, like, the highest it's ever been. And there's, like, massive heat wave, which does actually create lots of violence. It's like a – like, I think that's actually been, like, a study they've done scientifically that, like – when it's super, super hot, crime, like, swells. That's interesting because when I worked at the bar in New York City and it would be really at the end of summer when it was, like, super humid and hot, people, you just were on it. You know, like, my the owner would always be like, just be careful, you yeah. know? People are just, I don't know, they're just hot. They're mad. <laughs> and they're pissed off about it. 
that is not why this happened, but that was what was going on. Yeah. So wait, what are the hillside stranglers? So the hillside stranglers, I believe, were cousins. These are other. Okay, so we're gonna sidebar again, and we're just gonna Google it. Google it. Because the hillside stranglers are pretty notorious. Did you ever see that amazing movie Copycat, starring Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter, and um, mm. oh my God, also a country western singer turned actor. What's his name? He's I so know. cute. No, he was in Hope Floats. Scoot, boot, boot, scoot, boogie. No, no, you know who I'm talking about. He was oh, in Hope Floats. Oh, that guy, Henry Connick Jr.? Yes, Harry Connick Jr. Harry. Copycat is an excellent movie. Um, I was, like, I think I was pretty young for that one, and I was, again, a very fearful person, as I am now, and I was like, you know what? I'm not, I don't need that in my brain, so I did not see that, but that Copycat was based on Hillside Murders, or? Well, so the Copycat is basically about copycatting serial killers. And Sigourney Weaver, oh my God. If you guys haven't seen this movie, which I'm assuming if you listen to any podcast about true crime, you've 100% seen it. But if you haven't, watch it. Okay. So Sigourney Weaver is like an expert psychologist on serial killers. And that's all I'm going to say. But copycat, I feel like, kind of tells you. So there's a serial killer out there that's copycatting all the famous serial killers. Right. So the Hillside Stranglers are one of them, which okay. is where my familiarity with that story That's comes where you from. Know it. But they were basically discovered to be, sorry, Hillside Stranglers. They were cousins named Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Bono Jr. They kidnapped, raped, tortured, and murdered at least 10 women and girls ranging in age from 12 to 28 years oh. old in um, Los Angeles between October 1977 and February 1978. That's very upsetting. So I don't know when they were caught and if that was kind of what when we were reading about it going on simultaneously, is it's that so the people, murders so maybe hadn't happened was... yet, but, like, they were looking for these serial killers. Right. So from the law uh, enforcement perspective, they find these two girls. They've both been shot in the head with a small caliber gun and then shot more than once. Um, then a few weeks later, they find um, the beheaded body of Exy Wilson... And another uh, woman, uh, the body of another woman, only a couple miles away, named Karen Jones, both also shot in the head with the same caliber gun, which was later proven to be the same weapon. Exy, though, was decapitated. Yeah. Then they found um, uh, Marnette Coma was her name a few weeks later. And then she'd also been shot in the head with the same caliber gun, but time of death put her death three weeks prior, which meant that she would have been his, his first victim. Oh, my God. So, like, chronologically, Marnette was killed before the other four, but found after them. Okay. And so they're, the police are, like, very, very reluctant to put out into the media the idea of another serial killer. Right. But all of the women um, who worked on the Sunset Strip were becoming increasingly concerned that there was a man out there that was hunting them. Yeah. And... Um, there, uh, there was just all, you know all kinds of fear that there's like another serial killer in Los Angeles, and there was. Right. All right. So well, now I'm flipping back. Sorry to the story yeah. that we're telling. I'm in. I'm in. But that I'm was ready. kind of like how it happened from the police officers' perspective. Yeah. The multiple police officers. Um, okay. So he confesses to Carol that right. he had picked up two girls, and he had killed them, and she's just like, "Cool, whatevs." So then he goes out and does it again, but this time he comes home with a head that he puts in the freezer, and then Carol finds the head, and to do something nice for her um, her lover, she basically puts a bunch of makeup on it, 
and is like, here is this beautiful decapitated head for your pleasure. Ew. He actually like lost his mind on her and told her that she did a terrible job. The makeup looked terrible and her fingerprints were going to be oh all over God. the head. Oh. oh, he's like the worst person alive. Like, I was just trying she to do just, something nice. I was just trying to do something we could do together. Oh you know, God. like you decapitate the head, I'll make it up. She's like, I'm working 60 hours yeah. at the hospital. Yeah. And, and I least... still put makeup on the dead head. Yeah. So anyway, they decide they've got to get rid of the head after her... After Doug Clark, basically, so one of his things was necrophilia. Yeah, I read that. Um, which is something that, like, I just can't even wrap my brain around. Right, because like, there's lots of there's gotta be poop and stuff. And but also, just like, what? Where does yeah. that come from? A desire to like have like sex with know. a dead person? Just, like, I don't know. I just can't even wrap my brain around it. So anyway, yeah. after they like scrub the the head clean so there's no like trace oh evidence God. on it carol buys like a very ornate fancy looking like treasure box type thing that they put the head in and like toss into an alley but not they purposely wanted it to be found i think like they didn't toss it anywhere where it would be hard to find it right so a guy whose name i should have written down yet again i'm gonna remember to write more names down <laughs> He, like, can't pull his car either into or out of his garage because his box is in the way. Gets out, and he's like, ooh, a treasure chest. You know, like, <laughs> whoa, what did I find? So he goes to open it, and it's kind of strange. So when he first opens it, there's, like, weird kind of clothing. So he starts to kind of move through it. Then there's the decapitated head of, of Exy Wilson. So he immediately Aww. calls the cops. They come. There is um, a pair of... I believe, like, little jean shorts and then, like, a pink shirt that says Daddy's Girl are, like, the things in the box with the head. They can't figure out anything based off of those items. There's no trace evidence. But she's been shot in the head because now they have her head with the same caliber gun as all the other four women they found. Oh, my God. And then a week later, they find Marnette Comer. For five. So that's five. Then... At some point, so Carol knows about all of this. At some point, he takes her along for a ride, and they pick up a prostitute who, or sorry, a sex worth worker. I don't want to say prostitute. Yep. I feel like that's a derogatory term. A sex worker who calls herself Kathy. They have a plan. Carol's in the back seat. She has a gun. So they, she's going to watch the sex worker, Kathy, do her thing, and then if she decides that she's going to shoot the girl and get in on the murder action, she's supposed to say, I'm having a blast, and that means she's going to shoot the girl. But because I think part of the reason that Doug has all of his weird sexual things that he does is he's actually incredibly sexually inadequate, this woman is incapable of arousing him. He gets very angry, tells Carol, you know, like, to give him the gun, the girl is like, wait, what's going on? And then he, like, grabs the gun, shoots her. And Carol describes the sensation of, like, didn't scare her. In fact, she thought it was kind of fun. Ew. So then they put a jean jacket over the girl so that no other drivers will notice that there's a dead body basically, like, laying on the lap of Carol in the car. Oh, my God. So Carol is still, by the way, this entire time, obsessed with and pining over Jack Murray. Still going to see right. him at the bar. Right. Still desperately, like, trying to get him back. She's like, that was de- less abusive. Right. She's that like, was you were, you were a less bad guy. 
Um, oh, shit. I have to be so much better about organizing these thoughts. So another creepy thing that Carol and Doug did is they had an 11-year-old girl who lived across the hall from them oh, in their yeah. apartment complex that basically they that Doug's definitely did and Carol occasionally did like sexual things with and took pictures of her and it was like a whole thing. And I don't know much more information about her. I hope that she, she is. Did, she didn't, they didn't kill her though. No. They just did. They just did just terrible things her to life. her. They ruined And yeah. I, I really do hope that wherever she is now that she is doing well and uh, this, these people were the worst. So she is always asking Jack, like slipping him notes, like, can we please have sex? Can we please have, please have sex? And what I also learned from my research is like when she was having sex with these guys, they're basically just let it, like having her perform oral sex on them. No one was ever doing anything for her. I see. And um, Poor lady. So she is hanging out, pining over him again, drinking, and maybe getting a little loose-lipped about what's been going on at home. Right. And then Jack is like, well, I think, that I'm going to have to call the cops about that. And she's like, oh, no, I'm just kidding around. Yeah, he, like, gets alarmed. He's like, oh, shit. Right. Can and you imagine she, that conversation? Like, yeah. you're just hanging out, and somebody's like, so we did this. Are you jealous? Yeah, and you're and like, like, no, oh, I'm not jealous. But if you're serious, but that's actually call the cops. really a problem. So she becomes convinced that he is a liability. Then, also, she propositions him for sex again and he says only if you'll bring somebody else so she brings along the 11 year old girl <gasps> no and this is actually what they say is the breaking point for carol his desire of this 11 year old <gasps> is the first no. time that she feels like true like and i don't know what it was about this moment but she's like disgusted by jack for the first time because yeah. obviously he's a disgusting person yeah i love that everyone in the story is like a terrible pedophile like yeah. even though she murders this guy. I'm kind of like, probably that's okay. Yeah. So she's like, no, you can't. He's just, for, she's just for Doug because also she's a horrible, disgusting person. <sighs> so she becomes more and more convinced that he's going to go to the cops. So she keeps going to the bar. Yeah. One night she sees him. He's like with another woman who I guess was his current girlfriend at the time, even though he still had the wife. Oh. Mm-hmm. And they like hang out. And then eventually this girl leaves and she's like, come on, let's go to your van. Oh, it's his van. Mm-hmm. Oh. And so he's like, well, I guess the other girl left. We'll go to my van. He's like, so, I would like to be sucked off. Yeah. So she, so she has him lie on his stomach, and then she shoots him in the back of the head. He doesn't die, so then she stabs him multiple times and then cuts his head off. Also, here's the thing. I mean, just like, how do you do that, like, easily? You don't. Yeah. Okay. I can't even imagine what it would take to cut off someone's head. Marf. Like just the physical strength yeah. it would take. I remember having a, you know, I was, I did, got my degree in theater. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm a winner. Um, but I remember having a teacher who was, we were talking about like Shakespeare, maybe it was Henry. I can't remember which one, but they talk about like taking someone's head off. Oh no, it was um, Macbeth. Oh, yeah, and with all the killings. The, the teacher was this, like, crazy old dude, and he was like, can you imagine, like, really? You got to get in there. You got to be strong. You no. can't just... And he goes in and into it, and I'm like... Yeah. No, and like it's that. so... Yeah, you're right. It's, like, so creepy. Yeah. So, so anyways, so she does it, but I, maybe it helped that she was a registered nurse, and she knew how to, like, she, figure like, it out. the right things yeah. to cut. I don't know. Anyway, she contacts Doug to help her dispose of the head, to hide evidence. So at this point, they are starting to think about 
the, because now their case is caught like news. Like people yes. are talking about it. There's a murderer out there. Um, these women are being shot in the head with this caliber of a gun, and they're like, oh, yeah. Jesus, you know. Um, so they're trying to hide evidence, but then he's like, you're so stupid. Like, just because you took his head, like the shell casings from when you fired the gun are still going to be in the van. So now everybody's just panicked. Or, and by everybody, I mean Carol and Doug are totally kind of losing it, and especially Carol. She is, like, popping, like, uh, anti-anxiety tablets. Like, it's, I don't know, Haribo gummy bears if you're me. Right. And, <laughs> and she is just, like, she's just she's about to pop. She's about to burst. She needs, she's going to just tell. You know, you can just tell. She's feeling guilty, maybe? She's, well, she's, she's just yeah, scared she's, of getting I think caught. she's probably both. Yeah. Also, she did kill, the, you know, a man she very much loved. So, right. I guess one day she goes, shortly after this, oh, they find his body, sorry. So, they find the body of Jack in his van. Did I mention it was a heat wave in Los Angeles? Oh. And he'd been in there for five days. Gross. So, it was a horrifying scene. And so, now they've got this, which they're like, weirdly, this is like the same exact style, but instead of being like a young runaway or sex worker, it's a grown man. So that's, like, very confusing for detectives. Right. Carol is just, she's kind of losing it and basically goes into work one day and starts, like, confessing to everything that's been going on. So she's in the break room. Mm-hmm. And the and women were like, we... Like, ladies, listen, this I've is got what's something. And they, believe, and they believe her. So they call the cops. By the time the cops get there, she's already left the hospital. So they go to her house where they arrest her. But when they, or when they open the door to be like, you're under arrest or whatever... She is there, and she's, like, handing them things. She's like, these are the underwear of all of his victims. <gasps> these are all the, tra- like, things that he kept. This is a b- whole book of pictures of him with an 11-year-old girl who oh, lives across the hall. So God. she is just throwing damning evidence yeah. about Doug Clark to the cops. Then they go get Doug, who, you know, is being all like, it's my girlfriend and her boyfriend, Jack Murray, were doing all of this. And they're like, yeah, no, buddy, you're coming with us. At the mm-hmm. very least, you're a pedophile. Yeah. And, you, and he admitted to helping dispose of Jack Murray's head. Because he's smart. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they got him. And then it's like even more bananas shenanigans. Like, he says that Carol and Jack did it right. and tried to frame him. But Jack can be, like, really, really, really alibied for three of the murders, like, where, like, hundreds of witnesses can say he was there. Right. And He's so on that, stage singing his yeah, Australian that is, country western. Right, his, in his beautiful Australian tenor <laughs> or whatever, baritone. I'm not sure what it was. Um, but so then he says that it was just Carol and that she is obsessed with the serial killer Ted Bundy and thinks of herself right, as the she's bride. she's masterminding the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, she's the bride of Ted Bundy because her name's Carol Bundy and that... That's that she actually did all of it. She cops to immediately killing Jack and being in the car with the Jane Doe who called herself Kathy. Mm. Um, so she is booked on those two murders. And then um, even more bananas like insanity ensues. So she basically was going to try to plead insane. She is found to be completely sane. I mean, messed up, but yeah. like not... Not in the kind of way that she wouldn't have known that what they were doing was yeah. wrong. And um, she was going to be tried. And a, a right before trial, actually switched her plea to guilty instead of not guilty to avoid the death penalty. Doug, on the other hand, 
wasted years and years of like the court's times with legal proceedings. He wanted to like represent himself. He kept saying that his lawyers were like not like in drunk. his best. That's what in, I read. Yeah, like drunk or not in his best. And so basically, he, his, his case was like actually transferred to like different judges because the judges were finally like, "Fuck this shit! Like this guy is insane and like won't like let us do the legal process." So finally, they find a judge who's like, "Okay, I guess you can defend yourself." And he gets himself convicted of all the murders <laughs> and uh, convic- and put on death row. Yeah. Yeah. Which he is still alive today. He is still alive today. Carol died in, I think, 2003 or mm-hmm. five of mm-hmm. heart disease or... Heart failure. Heart yeah. failure. Um, but yeah, he's still alive today, still maintains his innocence and that it was all Carol and Jack. Right. You can, like, watch video of him. You can... You, I mean, whatever... I mean, judge for yourself, but it, he was, it was him. Yeah. Like, but wasn't he convicted only based on her testimony? There wasn't... I mean, yes, there were... So, okay. There were a couple of things. The gun... The guns were in her name. So that was an argument he had. What an asshole. But they were stored in the boiler room at the factory where he worked... Right. They did find where he the the stepsisters I mentioned where he had taken them to like a rented garage. Uh-huh. They found the garage. They found basically like the crime scene, and there was a bloody uh, boot imprint that was a perfect match for the boots that he was wearing when they arrested him. Yeah. Um, they had the book of photos with him with the eleven year old girl, which for me is enough to be like death penalty. Yeah. Um. So even though I think that like what they had was a lot was Carol's testimony. There was enough physical evidence to make it yeah. beyond a reasonable doubt. The, that he the, was the jury was like goodbye. Yeah, like we got you it was you. And this is like sad because not it's not sad. They're both very awful people, but like but he's you know, as I've heard, he's, you know, charging people two million dollars a year being in the court system or being in the prison system. Oh, we're right, pay, yes. We're paying $2 million a year as, to keep as, him as your, as your man likes to point yes, out. Yes, like, my what's the deal with the, the What's the deal with the death row? Yeah. But Which I feel, you know. I think we just, I think we'll all agree to say, like, what's the deal with privatized prisons? And that's a totally that's separate right. podcast. Yep. But one more thing I wanted to note, because I actually took note of this. So, Please. because we've just been talking so much about, like, how horrible all this is and how, you know, neither of them are innocent and, in fact, both pretty awful. But going back to her childhood and, you know, everything that she went through and how she just turned into, like, the person that she was. So one of the things that I found really fascinating when I was researching this Mm -hmm. is because I love FBI profilers. That's actually, I think I'm maybe less interested in the killers and more interested in the people who catch killers. Remind me what an FBI profiler is. Okay. Did you ever watch like Mindhunter on Netflix? No, I didn't. you didn't. You don't like you don't like that stuff. I mean, so a profiler is somebody who is an expert in the psychopathy and psychology of serial killers. Okay. They can come basically see the the systems of like who the victims are and all of the details of the of the crimes, mm-hmm. and they can put together a profile of who the person that committed those crimes is. So they can tell you like that is a white male in his teens that is a white male in his 50s it's always a white male but that is this kind of a person so that's basically like a you should watch Mindhunter also because it's really good (laughs) but um but basically I think it was created in the 70s maybe the behavioral analysis unit and it's a bunch of experts on behavior and in 
the, psycho the psychopathy and psychology of serial killers, and they can put together profiles that are like sometimes freakishly like spot on. Dead like on. he's a mailman, like, you know, like they that would have specific. known that Doug Clark was a born from a rich family, or Pro you know, maybe, or maybe. or that he was impotent, or you know, like all those yeah. things. But so there was an FBI profiler whose name was Robert Doctor Robert Hazelwood. Okay, and he and two other psychologists did a study on the wives and or girlfriends of serial killers. Fascinating. Fascinating. And even though they never name any names, one of them seemed very specifically about Carol Bundy. And they ba he basically came up with how um, serial killers can get the women in their lives to basically become their accomplices. So I just wanted to read to you the five steps that a read woman it. is put through. Dying to know. So the first is identification. The serial killer or the psychopath identifies a vulnerable, easily controlled person. The second step is seduction. They get that woman to fall in love with them. Then there's reshaping the woman's sexual norms. That's the third step. Introducing her to sexual images and acts that may offend or frighten her, but which she must do to please the man and keep him involved with her. Fourth, social isolation, cutting her off from her family and friends. And then fifth, punishment, physical, verbal, and sexual, which further erodes the woman's self-esteem and ability to act of her own accord. So in short, it's basically a dominant and a submissive. Yeah. And I would say that even though they're both guilty, I think it's very clear in that in this relationship, he was the dominant and she was the submissive. I think so, you know, too. He was cutting off the head and she was putting makeup on it. Right. And, like, this reminds me of, you know, the whole horrifying Elizabeth Smart thing where the guy was, like, you know, yeah. the second coming, and he had his, like, m the woman who was his minion who helped him Hel yeah, oh like, my God, kidnap yeah. the girl mm -hmm. or whatever. But, yeah, it's the so fact crazy. that, like, that women in these stories get, you know, basically, whether or not they're coerced or forced or whatever, but they do help. Yeah. And that's one of the worst things ever is I always go back to when I think about this story that the one that Kath, uh, uh, the Jane Doe called herself Kathy. It's like she got into a car with a man and a woman and that immediately made her feel more safe. Right. You know, like even right. though she was a sex worker, it's like there's, and there are things, you know. But you don't think, it's well, true. You just like, don't think like you're, when you get in a car with a couple, you're not worried that you're. In danger from like a, a predatorial male because there's well, already a like woman a very there. small percentage of that happening right, right. Like, yeah it's unlikely and so of so course she you won the safe. lottery of murder yeah, she won the bad lottery yeah but yeah so that is the story of the sunset strip killers wow who are not notorious as far as i can tell no they're but, not but it's so but maybe should have been right? they should have been yeah and and i guess one thing that like you know as sort of a person who's like what can we do what could have been better well who knows but I do think, you know, giving any solace to runaways out there, like, geez, Louise, you know, there is, what are we, we found like a, we found like a number you could call if anybody call is a runaway. Yeah, if you run away, that ways for you to get help so that you aren't forced to, to be out on the streets yeah. to survive. 1-800-RUNAWAY. And also you can text 6008. Six zero six six zero zero eight. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, offering a little help. That's where my like. I'm like, okay, it's gonna be fun. Well, no, and I think one of the things that's so fascinating about true crime and why I'm fascinated with it yeah. is that I feel like I've told you this before. So much of 
being interested and wanting to learn about it is arming yourself with information. Totally. So that, like, if you ever find yourself in a situation... Like, I'm going to be ready Like, to... I will know yeah. all of the warning signs. I guess, signs, you know. You know, and, and of course, like, you will never know. You know what I mean? Like, these people are master predators. But if there That's is true. something very comforting in being like, I, I am very aware of the things to look for, of the things yeah. to avoid, of all of those things, and it makes me feel more prepared in life. I get that. Yeah. I totally get that. Whether or not that's, you know, it's not a practical application for my obsession. And we've talked about it before. Like, she goes to bed to, you know. All the things. Law and like, Order SVU, yeah. and I go to bed to stand up. Right. <laughs> I do. I literally, right now, I've been um, falling asleep to, what is it called? It's called, like, 72 Hours, a true crime oh my sto- like show. And it's, it's basically amazing. a Forensic Files yep. 17.0 and it's wonderful. I love you, Ashley. <laughs> I love you, Vanya. You're the best. Um, thank you guys for uh, listening to yeah. this episode of This Wrong was Crime. Our, definitely our darkest one so it far. It was. It was really dark. We've, I'm going to need to eat like a piece of cheesecake, Golden yeah. Girl style, yep. and like, uh, And you maybe know. watch an episode of Golden Girls. Oh, that would actually make me happy. Yeah. Thank you. Let's do that. Let's definitely do that. Okay, thank great. you for being a friend, Vanya. Thank you. Oh, thank you for being a friend. <laughs> I love you. Love you. Right.